Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this episode, we're talking about how to start teaching piano in schools or preschools. Today, lovely teachers, we're joined by Gemma Wilkins, who is the community manager inside Vibrant Music Teaching. If you've ever wanted to teach piano in schools or preschools, then this is the episode for you because Gemma has been there and done that. So first of all, Gemma, since you're new to the show, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Oh, hi, Nicola. Thank you so much for having me. So Gemma is my name. I live in Mudgee, Australia, and I run my own music studio. I've been teaching piano lessons here for about about six years now, I think. Yeah, I have a, a great little community of little musicians, which is a lot of fun. Wonderful. So why would teachers want to work in schools or preschools, do you think? What motivated you to want to try? So what ended up happening for me was not long after I'd had my daughter, she was probably six or seven months old. One of my students' parents was actually a teacher at the school. She said to me that there was an inquiry out to say they needed a, they wanted a piano teacher at the school and would I be interested, thinking that I, she initially thought I wouldn't be. And what appealed to me was that it was in the time of the day that usually you don't have lessons. So you know, we always are teaching in that after school hour. And this was in school time, in class time, an opportunity. So that really appealed to me for the school and the same for the preschools same time of day is opportunity in the daytime. So I was able to fill my daytime hours with teaching at the school and the preschool and also still do my afternoon lessons. But it meant at the times when daycare centers are actually open. So otherwise, usually looking at babysitters or late evenings. So that's what worked for me and for my family. Yeah, great for moms or dads or anyone who just needs to keep the evening free for whatever reason. Mm. or at least part of it, or just wants to have dinner at 6pm, you know. So yeah, great to have that opportunity to teach during the day. So what type of lessons do you think we might offer in schools? Should we let the, stu the schools decide this? Like, do they know best? Or should we go in with a particular plan? I guess the thing you need to know is whether or not they've already had a music teacher or a piano teacher in the school and maybe what kind of format that was. So the first school that I went into, there had been a teacher there previously and she was doing one-to-one -one lessons. So I was actually going to be taking over 
the few students that she had left after she'd moved on. And so I guess those students expected a one-to-one, but I did go to the school and I gave them sort of a a list of the way that I could do the the lessons. So there was a buddy format. I had partner lessons as well. And I did talk about doing small groups, but the space that I was in wasn't suitable for that. But I think some of the schools, they might not have had a teacher in there. So they might be interested in what you've got to say, or they assume it might be one-to-one. I think piano usually is assumed to be that. And when you say, oh no, I, I could do two at a time, or I'm happy to take four. And they might be interested because obviously there's different pricing for those kind of options, which might be more feasible for families that may not have, have access to lessons outside of school, as well as access to one-on-one lessons in their budget. Yeah, and I think in schools, often the the trouble with partner lessons or sometimes with buddy lessons is matching the ages or whatever. But you've naturally got these groups and they're with their friends because they're in school, right? So it might be possible to organize that and definitely might be better value. I'd say the thing I've never taught in a school or anything, but I have talked to a lot of teachers who have. And I would say if you're going in from the start, just have an idea on the lesson times because I've talked to many teachers I don't know if this is a UK thing but I've talked to several in the UK anyway who have been told they have to teach 20 minute lessons and if that is just not going to work for you go in with like this is my minimum lesson length or I really only want to teach so if there is a hard line for you like make sure you have that in mind because it's not all you have to just do what the school says I mean it has to work for you too. Yes, definitely. So for me, I already had the 30-minute structure in place. The lesson times were going through recess and through lunch. I'm not sure what breaks the rest of the world has, but we have two in our schools here in Australia. And the students who were missing recess were like missing, you know, having that playtime and that snack time. I changed that. I thought, well, you know, I don't think they should miss out on that. I decided that if it was going into recess or lunchtime, it was only going to be a few minutes so that they weren't missing out on that valuable time away from the classroom where they actually can re-energize themselves. So that was something that the school had in place that I thought, oh, you know, I'd, I'd prefer it this way for the benefits of the student and their day. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I actually took guitar lessons very briefly in my school, in secondary school. It was during my lunch break. A lot of the time or all the time, somehow we got that slot, which is difficult enough as a teenager, but definitely as a little kid, that would be really tough. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they can work out how to fit in eating and toileting and all that sort of stuff in between like running back to the classroom so I think it was a better a better opportunity for them if they got you know most of their recess or in three quarters of their lunch if their lesson did happen to go into that time. Absolutely so what about the fees then should we have different fees for schools versus our private studios or do you keep it the same for simplicity? So personally I did change the way that my fee was structured for the school Because there's less parental interaction at the school, a lot of the time I only met the parents if we were having a concert or something like that. But for the most part, because I wasn't having those interactions, I thought, well, I'm going to make this all inclusive so that I don't have to ask them to collect books. I was providing all the books, whereas in my private studio outside of the school, that wasn't how I was doing it. So when I went in, I did have two different fees. I had one for the school, which was an including resources rate. And then I had an outside of school. So anytime I got inquiries, a lot of my questions was, you know, how old is the student and what school do they go to? Because if they were at the school, the rate I would quote would be the including resources rate and try and fit them in the at school schedule because that worked better. 
I could usually fit more, way more students in than if I, you know, had more vacancies. And then eventually I did change over time to be the same rate across the studio because it was really tricky to administer the invoicing and that sort of stuff. So it started that way and eventually evolved that it was resources across the studio. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I see why it pushed you to do the all-inclusive model. That's obviously, many will know that's how I operate things here. So I think it could work great for a private studio too, but definitely... For schools, I've heard that gripe a lot from teachers who work in schools that, mm. you know, they can't get them to have the right books or answer their emails or whatever the parents, because they're just not there. They're not doing the drop off and the yeah. pickup and they're much more disconnected from it. So, yeah, I think that's a great, a great tip. And it's also interesting to know that you were filtering like your inquiries that you were getting for your private studio, some of them you were filtering back into the school, which makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense. But maybe teachers would think of keeping them separate, but definitely. Yeah, I actually, it was easier to sell the in-school lessons, right? It's one less place for the parents to have to take their kids after school. One less afternoon where maybe they can go straight home. We, I live in a rural area. So a lot of this, the students that I taught in schools live, you know, 40, 50 minutes away only by bus. So their parents aren't even coming in to pick them up. So when the lessons are at school, they were able to actually do them because most of the time they have to hop on the bus. They're on their drive, you know, on the outskirts of town, living on the farm. And so it was easier to convert inquiries by doing it that way because the parents just go, awesome. They're already at school. I don't have to do anything else. You know, that I just like, they, they come from their classroom and as long as they, you know, hopefully remember their music books, most of the time, the parents get, you know, a little bit of a mental break of thinking of where they've got to be and what they've got to do. So I think it was easier that way. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense logistically, not just definitely for students living on a farm or something like that, where they've got a long commute, but even Mm. for any student who's just, you know, has a lot on or they want to save afternoons for play dates. That comes up a lot in terms of like Friday lessons and stuff in my studio. They want to save it for the play dates because otherwise there's no other time. So, yeah. That's a great benefit to parents. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to approach schools then, what information do you think they want to see from teachers? Is there anything that they should prepare before going to talk to a school? My experience was generally go to them with how you're proposing it's going to work. So I took the approach of making it as easy as possible for the school. So if they had someone come to the front office and say, I heard you do piano lessons, I want to put my student in it. At that point, they direct the inquiry straight to me. They weren't trying to schedule the student. They weren't trying to, you know, tell them anything about the lesson. They just, you know, hand it over that way. I invoiced all the families directly. So that's another thing. The school wasn't collecting any payments. They're not chasing invoices. So by channeling it all the way through my studio with the systems I already had in place, I was able to say to them, this is how it's going to work. You know, the inquiries come through here. I had the link on my website. So if they wanted to, they can just say, go here. And it's the enrollment inquiry. And then I would make the lesson time, plan a time to meet with them before we actually took on the lessons and do that all directly. So all the school had to do for me was book me the space that I was teaching in. 
I was really lucky at the first school I was at that that was given to me on a community use agreement. So they were saying we're offering this extra service to families and they weren't actually charging me an hourly rate for the space. But I didn't get my pick of the times. They just sort of said, this is all we've got available and I worked within those times. So that's that was how I went with it. The, another school, so we have we only have three schools in my town. So the other school, it lay charge for the space. It's a very nominal fee and it had a lot of bookings in it. So for them, they already had some systems in place and I think they preferred to place the students in themselves or, you know, someone basically was someone, if someone was asking for piano lessons, they'd say, yep, we have a teacher, you can have them. Whereas I still prefer to have that interview is it a good fit is the student ready you know that sort of stuff beforehand so I think just having a really clear idea of this is how it's going to work for you and making it so it's easier not something extra that's going to be used you know draining on their own resources makes it much more appealing for them to see oh okay we don't have to do much to do this let's we, if we say yes you know that's not extra work she's going to do all that for us yeah, absolutely. And I think just the fact of approaching schools with a clear plan, like if you lay it all out, put it on paper, make up a brochure or something like that, it can be that you actually have some flexibility, but lay it all out as if this is going to be the system, this is what I recommend, this is how it will work with each detail. And then the school, because knowing vaguely the office administration in schools that kind of thing could easily get pushed aside if there's too many decisions because they just, you know, there's too much going on and music often doesn't seem like a priority. So it might get shuffled to the side if you're saying it could be like this or like this or like this. So I think it's a great idea to just go to them saying, here's how I see it being. And then if they say, actually, we used to have a piano teacher here and we do have an opening, but this is how we work. You know, you can decide whether that's right for you or not. Yeah. And I think if you get in on their system as well, you're at least in, right? You start to get students that love you, you get more inquiries, and then you have a chance to say, I've been working under your system, but I think it might be better if we do it this way. Tweak it a little bit. But I think that the main thing is like getting in there first and getting the students and the families to be the ones who are saying like, don't let her go or don't let him go. You know, my kid loves this. This is the best thing that's happening to them. In their and then that's going to give you the chance to, I guess, mold it into the ideal structure that's going to work for you. Absolutely. Let's say we've laid out all the information or decided how we want to propose that we do it. How should we actually approach schools? Have you found, or do you know whether it's better to phone, to email? Do you just show up in person like, ta-da, hello, I'm here. So as a as I mentioned, my town's pretty small. So for me to go to the school, both of the schools, the public schools are less than a five minute walk from my house. So it's really not hard for me to literally pop in on my way somewhere to see if someone can talk to me. In most instances, I think it's really beneficial to be in front of them. We know that there's so much, We, you know, ourselves, we get lots of emails. We know that those sort of things, you can read it and be interested, move on to the next email and all of a sudden you've totally forgot it. So I went on, I phoned first, you know, to inquire about what was happening. I asked if I could make a interview with the person who made the decisions. In, in my instance, for one of the schools, it was the principal and at the other school, it was the assistant principal. So there might be different people who are in charge of making that choice. So I was asking for who's in charge and I think making an in-person meeting. In person, they can really gauge 
your personality a bit better. I think the conversation flows a bit better and you know you have undivided attention. Whereas on the phone, yes, we're talking to them. It can be a clear line of communication, but it also has a chance, you know, for a bit of attention to be taken away. So I'm for like treating it like an interview, scheduling an interview, getting to the school in person and speaking with them. Hopefully, if you go to the school in person, then you can also have a look at the space. Where are we going to be? What's it look like? What kind of piano am I working on? Because that was at at the first place I had. The pianos weren't great. And then I said, well, can I arrange a technician to come? Is that something, you know, you'll cover the payment for? And looking at how much space you have, can you leave things in the room? Can you set it up and and trust that it's going to be okay? And I think a lot of that can happen when you're in the interview because they'll say, oh, have you seen the school? Would you like to come for a walk? And then you get to go around and get an idea of what the environment's like. And I think that is really beneficial. Absolutely. I think there's a lot to be said in general for showing up in person when things are, it just shows that you think it's important as well. Like you can send an email to... <laughs> All the schools in your area, even if you don't live in a small town within 10 minutes. But if you show up in person, it kind of shows that you care and that you're invested and they have to say no to your smiling face if they're going to say no, which I think can go a long way. I also think just in dealing with schools in general for like organizing concerts and things, if you did go to that school, throw that into the conversation somewhere because that will often sway (laughs) them to consider where they weren't really listening before. If you did go there and you can reference, you know, where the music room is or somehow work that into conversation, I'd say just Oh, yeah. Is is Mr. Smith still a teacher here? Yeah, oh, he was exactly. my favorite. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll, yeah, they'll love it. Love keeping it in the community. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's say we're successful then, Gemma. What should we prepare for the first day? Is it different to preparing for regular studio lessons? How should we get ready? The, the main difference that was really obvious on my first day was that I had to go and collect the students from their classrooms. So when I arrived, you know, well before my start time and I had, I knew who the students' names were at this point, I'd spoken with all the parents. I don't think I'd ever met, like I hadn't seen them all in person. Some of them I knew, you know, through other, you know, friends of students I already had or something. And then I just got a map and a list of their names and their classrooms and I had to find them. So I think expect to be wandering around the school a little bit to start with until the kids get used to the fact that 11.15 on a Tuesday is when they have to come to the music room. So as time went on, I was spending much less time running around, but early on, I spent a lot of time finding students and then you go to the classroom and they're at the oval doing sport or they're in the hall doing a performance or something and no one tells you like they're they're not thinking of the you know the student the piano teacher that has a few students coming they're on their own schedule so that's probably something that took me by surprise to start with and then as you get more familiar with where where the children could be at different times it gets a lot easier so I think as well like I said when you go to the school to see what the space is like, how much, how many, how much equipment, how many resources do you need to take with you? So piano stool at the first school I was at was not, well, there wasn't a piano stool. It was a chair that was broken. This was the room where the chairs went to die and they just had a stack of them and pick your worst, pick the, the best of the worst 
And so I brought, I, you know, brought my own piano stool. I brought my own footstool. I of course had all my own music because I said I was including that, but also just all the other bits and pieces that went with it, pencil case and scissors and glue sticks and just all those things you need. I needed that with me. And I worked that out when I saw the, when I saw the room as well. And I think just also having stuff for yourself, something that can happen is your schedule, you just keeps going, right? If you've got space, you just sort of say yes. And at one point I was finding I was doing about five hours of lessons from 8.30 past lunchtime. And I would forget, I didn't, you know, if I forgot my drink bottle, I had no chance to step aside. If I forgot a snack, I had no chance to do it. I'd get to the end of the five hours and be a little bit woozy. So I think it's, you know, having or scheduling it so you've got breaks, but having something in the room with you that you can have straight away or quick because there's not a chance to actually step away to the tea room to grab a cup of coffee or anything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I believe in scheduling breaks, but even with those breaks, like there'll be odd times when if you're working from home, you need to step out to get something and you have an older student and it's fine to just leave them for a second. But you can't do that in a school. You can't just leave the room. So yeah, no, definitely no, a really no. important note. Yeah, I guess I guess I should note that these are primary schools or infant yeah. schools that I'm that I was in. So they're small children, you know, some five year olds, six year olds, yeah, that are still learning, you know, how school works, let alone yeah, being left alone for a minute while I go get a cup of tea from the staff room. So Yeah, that's yeah. not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what about marketing the lessons then, filling those spots? Have you found that to be different? inside the school I know you're filtering through some from your private studio look to be honest it was so much easier like I said you get in the school get the students to love you something that I did for a while was at the the last week of term I'd have a bring a friend to lesson day so they would ask you know their teacher if they could bring someone from their class so when I'd go to you know pick up Charlotte from her lesson she was bringing Amelia with her and then we'd spend the lesson together and what do you know next term Amelia's mum says oh Amelia loved the lesson. She wants to come in with you. So I went from, I think I inherited about seven students from the previous teacher and within at least maybe a term that was up to 25. And it was all through either siblings or friends of the students I had once the word got around. The way I didn't advertise that I was at the school outside of the school. So I didn't on my social media page target those schools directly. It was more the way that I said before is that any time I got an inquiry in my inquiry field on my webpage, the third question is what school does your child go to? And so then once I made contact with the parents, I then straight away funnel them to my in-school schedule and keep the out-of-school schedule for those kids that aren't at that school. That I think is also how I managed to increase it so quickly because I was funneling them into those time slots because I had two full days, two full school days where I was assigned the room. So I had a lot of availability to to fill. Yeah, absolutely. I think the bring a friend to lessons idea is great though, if teachers are getting started and you know, if you can work that out with the school and make sure it's okay if it's once a year, I don't I don't think they're gonna mind. But also say if your student does get to the stage where they could perform something, a lot of schools will have assemblies or whatever where they like to have students yep. play an instrument, so try to put them forward for that and then you'll probably immediately get inquiries from the other students' parents because they'll see their friend performing and make sure they play yep. something that sounds cool. Yeah, that would be another great way to market the lessons. Thank you so much for exploring this topic with us, Gemma. It's great to hear from someone who's been there and done that. Is there any final advice you want to share with teachers who are considering this? My advice would be take it, go to the school 
as if you're doing them a favor, not that they're doing you a favor. Like if we're looking to fit students in our schedule at a time that we wouldn't usually, we kind of, I think piano teachers, we look at it going, oh, this would be amazing if you could do this for me. But instead look at it as from away from the school, like what is this adding? What value is this adding to their students? What is it adding to their community? And make it seem like it would be, you know, something that they would benefit from greatly that the, the school community is going to have a lot of growth and excitement about. And I think that's the best way to do it because sometimes I think we forget, you know, we, we're almost apologetic for existing because music sometimes isn't seen as the more important thing. So it's, it's just like, you know, make it, make it like this would just be a huge favour and that it's just going to be the best thing for their school. I don't think they'll be able to say no. Yeah, make it about them, not about you. The classic marketing advice, really, but you need to keep coming back to that. Like, what's in it for them? And make it easy for them as well. And yeah, I think as long as they don't already have someone in place, they're really likely to say yes to that. Thank you again for coming on the show, Gemma. This has been wonderful. Oh, I'm really, really happy to be here. Thank you. So we would love to hear about your experiences teaching in schools or in preschools. Please come uh, chat to us over on Instagram or if you are a member of VMT, then feel free to tag Gemma in the forums because she'd be happy to answer any questions, help you puzzle it out. If you liked this episode, you would absolutely love Vibrant Music Teaching Membership. We have the support and the training you need to take your teaching further. Join us today by going to vmt.ninja and signing up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.